Lord, as we sing this Psalm 62, we sing it as our prayer, as your people. Lord, we confess that we struggle to find rest in you. Lord, we want to rest in this world. We want to rest in our own efforts. We want to rest in thousands of other things but Jesus. Lord, we ask and beg that you would help us to rest in Christ. And even as we open up your word and as we receive the word of Christ again today, Lord, may it be that it would be used in our lives to make us rest in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Man, please take a seat. An interviewer gathered and questioned the eight former military aides to President Reagan. Each of these eight military aides had taken time guarding what they call the football. The football is that object that never leaves the presence of the president because the football contains launch codes for our nation's nuclear weapons. President Reagan's leadership was often distinguished by his communication skills but also by his humor. So the aides all smiled when the interviewer asked them, asked these eight military aides, what did the president say when people asked him what was in that object? They replied, He always said the same thing. And here's what President Reagan said. Inside, there's a red button and a green button. The red button launches the nuclear weapons. And the green button averts the launch. Then he would always pause look a bit quizzical, and ask, or is it the other way around? (laughs) 
This account reminds me that leaders come in a variety of personalities, styles, and giftings. But according to Scripture, leaders in the church are to be marked or to possess certain qualities, certain characteristics about them. Leaders in God's church, and we have two leaders, we have the leader of an elder or pastor or bishop, and we have the leader of deacon. These two offices. And we read about these in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you're not there, please open there again with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let's start reading in verse 1. And read about these character qualities that these officers must possess. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. So those characteristics, those qualifications, are required for a pastor of a local church. And we looked at those last time, in fact, January 1st, 2023. Um, And now today we want to focus on the deacons. So let's read about those, starting in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, 
As I read that, and as we read this passage, I want you to remember that this was written to a church that was confused about what the church was to be and to do. See, there had been some, some men, perhaps some women too, that were in the church and they started to teach doctrine contrary to what they had received that had been passed down to them. And so Paul writes to this church, to Timothy, who is in Ephesus at this church, and he's writing as a corrective. It's really what this letter is. It's a corrective to this false teaching that is going on um, within the church. And what Paul says to, to Timothy, and, and more importantly, friends, what he, what he says to us today, what he, he's communicating to us at Grace Community Bible Church, is that the gospel that we love that we proclaim that gospel, which in a nutshell we could say is the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and even session seated at the right hand of the Father, Christ being sat down by the Father's side. That gospel does something. It has an impact not just for saving us, not just for changing us, but it has an impact for the church. The gospel is always doing something. God, through Jesus and by the Spirit, is always at work because of Jesus. And the gospel never leaves a person or a church stagnant. It changes you. It changes us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the church. And so a church is to be shaped, to be conformed, to be fashioned, to be molded in a particular way. By the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in particular what we see here. What the gospel does. Is it tells us that there are two officers within the church. They're led by men. And these men are men of character. That in essence is what Paul is writing here to Timothy. That's what he's trying to communicate to him. Amidst this church that has gone a little bit haywire on what they are supposed to be and what they are supposed to do. And so as I said last time, we focused on the office of a pastor or elder or bishop. Those are all the same terms to refer to this one office that we typically call around here at GCBC a pastor or an elder. Now today we want to focus on the deacon. So if we look 
at 8 through 13, what we're going to see is we're going to see nine qualifications of a deacon compared to 16 for a pastor. So a little more than half of the qualifications required. And seven of the nine are identical or the same concept of those qualifications of an elder. Seven of the nine. Now, I don't want you to get, I'm a numbers guy, right? You know that about me. I don't want you to think, okay, there are nine qualifications. I don't, that doesn't matter. Because if you look in different commentaries and, and, and Bibles, uh, um, um, study Bibles, they'll break them down differently. And they'll group them in different ways. The number is not important, right? Not, not, it's not like important like you, you need to get the right number on your tax return <laughs> in order to get the right refund, right? It's not that kind of number. Um, but but I, count, I count nine. So let's go through these nine. First of all, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Now, when we hear this word dignity, we, we might think of um, someone who's maybe reserved, and, you know, they have a good appearance and demeanor. Right? That's not really what this word dignified means. To be dignified here means to be, to be respectable. It means to be above reproach. And I like how the NIV translate it. it translates it. It says, deacons need to be men worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. That's the main idea. In fact, that's the main overarching idea of what a deacon is to be. They're to be men who are worthy of respect. And, and, and not only is that the main idea of what a deacon is to be, it's the main idea of what a pastor is to be. If you remember, I pointed out something to you back on January 1st. I know you don't remember that far back. I don't either. Um, but if you remember... The passage began with what? Deacons must be. Well, you can look at it. What does it say in verse 2? An overseer then must what? He must be above reproach. And then later on in the middle, it says he needs to be respectful. And then later on at the end, in verse 7, it says that an elder must have a good reputation. So an elder, above all, needs to be a man worthy of respect. It's the same for a deacon. It's the same thing. And here's the reason why. I never really saw this until I studied this for these sermons. The reason why is, is because the church is sort of the public testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, people can drive past here, and what do they see? What do they see when they drive past here? They see grace community Bible church. They know Christians meet in here, right? And anyone could come in here off the street, and they could come in here and sit in our service, and they could do that for months, for even years. And maybe they aren't true believers, and they could be looking at you and me, and examining you and me, and they can start to get to know the elders and the deacons of this church. And what would they see? if the elders and deacons were not respectable men. It would totally shame the church, wouldn't it? 
I mean, it would totally like put a black eye to what we're trying to do. We are trying to be salt and light in the world as the church, as the people of God. That is who we are. And so we need to be led by men who are dignified, who are respectable. Now, particularly a deacon, when it comes to being respectable, we're given three ways in which this is sort of fleshed out in our passage. So there are three areas that men are be to, uh, deacons are to be respectable in. And, and I, I don't know why, but Paul puts these in the negative. Right? So here are the three areas. Number one, they're not double-tongued. Number two, they're not addicted to much wine. And number three, they're not fond of sordid gain. So a deacon must be dignified. And what does this look like? It looks like these three things. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not found of sordid gain. Now, unfortunately, you have seen the news reports. I have seen the news reports. I was just at a men's conference down in Iowa yesterday. The, the man that was doing the conference reminded us of um, Ravi Zachariah. And we all know Ravi, and we all know the, the, the unfortunate thing that came out about that man. Right? We've seen these reports, and we've seen them over and over again, how leaders in the church, and of course deacons don't get as much publicity, but it happens to them too. But we've seen how leaders in the church disqualify themselves because they get caught in a web of lies, they get enslaved to alcohol, and they embezzle church um, funds and ministry um, um, accounts. And what do these stories do, brothers and sisters? What do they do to your heart when you see these stories? Do you remember how you felt when you heard about Ravi Zachariah? I know how I felt. I felt sad. I felt betrayed. Right? But you know how the outside world thinks and feels when they see that? Those Christians, they are a bunch of hypocrites. They are losers. I don't want any part of them. That's what they think. And so that's why it's so important that Paul gives us these, really these three sort of ways in which deacons are to be dignified. Number one, not double-tongued there in verse 8. Double-tongued speech is saying one thing to one person and another thing to another person. It's speech that lacks integrity and honesty. It's speech that is evasive and slippery. And the reason this is so important for deacons is because the deacon is often assisting the pastor with the members of the church. If a deacon gives false and misleading information, if a deacon secretly tears down the pastors or complains about them to the sheep, if the deacon seeks to please people and not share the truth, or if he doesn't keep his word and commitments, you know what that does? It damages the relationships that the body of Christ is all about. It 
it does it. It damages what we're trying to do here. We're trying to build relationships with one another for the gospel. We're disciple making disciples as we share all the time around here. So deacons, especially the leaders of the church, are not to be double-tongued or they will destroy Christ's sheep. Destroy Christ's sheep and wreak havoc on the church. This is a hard message today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Number two, another way Paul tells us that deacons are to be dignified is they're not to be addicted to wine. And this is identical to what we hear of of the pastors, of the elders. Now, as with a pastor, this does not mean that a deacon needs to completely abstain from all alcohol. Rather, what this means is that a deacon is to be sober-minded, he's to be temperate, he's able to control his life and not succumb to control by alcohol or other substances. A deacon who is controlled by alcohol is not controlled by the Spirit of God. Is explicitly from Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Spirit of God. A deacon who is controlled by substances, they, they, they cannot serve. They cannot do what they're called to do in the church. Right? It's obvious. And then the third thing, he's not fond of sordid gain. So this is the third way a deacon is free from or is to be a dignified man. So, in other words, what this is saying is he's free from the love of money. Right? I like this word. I like these words. We don't use them. He's free from fond of sordid gain. What, what does that mean? The underlying Greek conveys an idea of shameful, fraudulent, or misappropriated gain. It doesn't mean a deacon can't be wealthy. It doesn't mean a deacon can't have a a good job, be paid well. It means that a deacon is not to use his title, his position, or his influence to steal or fleece God's people out of money. A deacon or a pastor, this is the same, same qualification, free from the love of money, a deacon or a pastor is not to use church funds inappropriately for, for things like meals, travel, ministry expenses. Okay. They're to use the funds as they have been allocated, as the leaders have agreed upon with our budget. It keeps us accountable to one another. A deacon... Here's the summary, brothers, sisters. A deacon and a pastor must be generous with their resources. They must have a generous heart. Of course, Paul will say later in his letter that it's not money, but the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so it's really the heart behind this. It's the heart behind all these things. A deacon is one whose ambition and desire is to give and not to get. That's the heart of a deacon. 
So that's a deacon. Those we could say are the, are the public, if you will, um, characteristics, qualities. They're the moral, we could say, qualities. So a deacon is to be respectful, and this is three ways it looks. Right? They're not double-tongued. They're, they're not addicted to alcohol. They're free from the love of money. Now, next, we see in verse 9, a deacon must hold the faith, the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience. Right? What does this mean? Well, the mystery of the faith is sort of Paul's way of talking about the, the, the doctrines, the, the teachings of the Christian message. That's what this means. So, what, what is being said here is a deacon, a deacon must be one who, I could say, he understands the Christian faith, and he believes the faith, and, and he lives the faith. So he holds to the mystery of the faith. That's, that's the understanding and that's the believing. And then he, and he has it with a clear conscience. That is the living. A deacon lives consistent with the Christian message. So it's really his head and hands all kind of encompassed together with his heart that is required of a deacon. A deacon cannot profess the Christian faith to a T, and I've been in churches where this happens, they can profess the Christian faith to a T, but their life is contrary to what they say they believe. And neither can a deacon be a moral, upright man who doesn't understand the basics of the gospel. Who isn't maybe even a Christian. Right? So, a deacon is one who holds, they believe, they understand, and they live the Christian message. So those are the qualifications of deacon. Now there's another qualification, number six. It says that the deacon, in verse 10, must first be tested. This is another way of saying that a deacon should not be a new convert, just like an elder, just like a pastor, right? Right? Only here it doesn't say he needs not to be a new convert. He must be tested, right? Now, it does not say an age limit, just like with the pastor. Um, the point is that a deacon must be tested. In, in, in how is he going to be tested? Or, or what is it going to look like for him to be tested? Well, what it's going to look like is he is going to be seen to be a man who is dignified, you see, so we're, we're testing a deacon. A deacon needs to be tested so that we see that he is a respectable man and, and, and how that plays out, right? He's not this, this, and this, right? He's not addicted to wine. He's not a lover of money. He's not, and my mind is drawing a blank on the first one, he's not double-tongued. Right? So we, we're testing to see if that's the case in his life. And how, how does this work out here at Grace Community Bible Church? How does this work out? 
right? Right, right, we do that, right? We, we, we have a year of testing. At least a year of testing where we, where we officially will nominate someone and then we'll say, we want you to be looking into their life. Now, up until that nomination point, you're already sort of knowing that person, hopefully, right? We don't just take anyone off the street. Hey, welcome to Grace Community Bible Church. You want to be a deacon today? <laughs> you know, but, 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 but I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Now, we don't have, let's see, we, we don't have anyone right now in this condition, right? So they're not under the fiery trials of testing. Um, Brandon's like, I escaped that <laughs> last year. And, we, and all of you, if you're serving as an elder or deacon, you've gone through this. Um, so we don't have anyone in this condition right now, but we will. We will in the future. We will in the near future. So I want you to take this seriously. I want you to get to know the elders and deacons. And I said this last time, get to know those people that serve you and lead you. Don't just think, well, you know, the elders, they got their heads screwed on straight. They know what they're doing. They, I trust their judgment. Now, now, okay, you do that. Thank you. But, but, Get to know the leaders, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to test these brothers and sisters. This is what the church is supposed, not, not sisters, excuse me, brothers. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. We'll actually get to that here in a minute. But we're supposed to test these men. Um, and then finally, look at what it says. They must be tested then let them serve as deacons, this is verse 10, if they are above reproach. So we, we start with deacons needing to be dignified, men of worthy of respect, and then we end with the same idea. They need to be beyond reproach, right? It's the same overarching idea that the credibility and testimony of the church of Jesus Christ is not undermined by the leaders of the church, right? And then we shift from sort of this moral public thing in the testing to sort of a private issue with the deacons. And here we get to verse 12. Verse 12. Like a pastor, a deacon must have his family in line. So according to verse 12, a deacon needs to be the husband of only one wife. The emphasis here is that a deacon must be a one-woman man. Must be a one-woman man. This does not mean a deacon needs to be married. But if a deacon is married, he cannot be polygamous. Which we don't have too much of that here in Minnesota, at least. Um, but he must not be polygamous, and he certainly must be faithful in every way to his wife. And then next, he must be good managers of their children and their own households. A deacon, it must be, according to verse 12, have this ability to manage and care for his household. And it's virtually the same requirement of a pastor. Now, I want you to know something about this. We kind of unpacked this a little bit when we talked about the, the, the pastors. But I want you to notice something about this. The deacons, what does it say they're to do? They're to what? They're to be good what? Good managers. You notice that? So there's a sense in which a deacon is a manager. Or we could say, as I think, as I believe, and I think we hold to at this church, deacons are leaders of the church. 
Now they lead in different ways than pastors, but they are leaders. They're to be managers. So deacons are not fundamentally guys who fix broken equipment. (coughs) Although I think all of our deacons can, and I'm so thankful for that because I can't at all. (laughs) Oh man, it's pathetic. Um, I make more damage um, than than fixing things. Um, But they must manage and lead God's church in the areas and giftings in which they are called. Now we could sum up all these qualifications nicely. Here's how we could summarize it. Deacons are men worthy of respect. They're not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy for gain. They must also possess the faith and live the faith. They must first be tested to make sure they are these things in their lives. And in their private lives, deacons must be one woman, um, one, a one-woman kind of man and manage their own households well. So, even, even shorter, they are, they are to have public respectability, private discipline, and a true and living faith. Deacons are to have public respectability, private discipline within their family, and a true and living faith. Now, let me take a sip of water before I get to this next section. Verse 11, you notice that I skipped it. I hope you did. Um, Let me read it. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, this one verse, as you probably know, has been interpreted in many ways. There are two main interpretations. There are others. But let me just give you two for the sake of this message this morning. Um, Number one, the women here are deacons' wives. So they're not deacons or deaconesses. That's the first major interpretation. The second major interpretation is that the women here are deacons. That is, they're female deacons. Or, we could say they're deaconesses, a third office in the church. Now, both views, if we just put those two together, both views, women of deacons or women deacons or deaconesses, those two views are held by good Christian churches and theologians. They they are. Um, our church's position, as you, most of you know, if you're visiting here this morning, thank you for coming. I'm, I'm serious about that. Thank you for coming. And um, you came on an interesting message, but we're just preaching verse by verse through the Bible as we do here. But our church's position is that in this passage, this is a wife of a deacon. Now, let me give you four reasons why we hold to this position. I'm going to go through these very fast. Number one, the term used is woman. The term used is woman. So if Paul wanted to say women were supposed to be deacons, he could have easily used the words together. Women, deacons. Paul, in my mind, Paul was not a man who was at loss for words, especially in a letter where he was correcting false teaching in this church in Ephesus. 
Instead, he just uses the term women, which can be interpreted wives. It's the same underlying Greek word that sometimes is translated women, sometimes is translated wives. Number two, the location of the verse. Verse 11 comes right in the middle of qualifications for deacons. If Paul is suggesting women can be deacons or they're deaconesses, to me, it's an odd place for Paul to include that here in this passage. It's like, oh, by the way, you know, in verse 11, it's just kind of odd to me, right, that he would just sort of tuck that in there and just go on to the next, in verse 12, the next qualification of deacons. Number three, the preceding context. The preceding context. Now, we can talk about nearer context, far context, all of that. But in chapter 2, Paul devoted a whole section, and we preached on this, a whole section of roles for men and roles for women. Do you remember that? They're roles in the church. And he specifically lays those out. So why would he now say in chapter 3, in one verse sort of tucked in there, that women can now serve in another role, and that is as deacons? This doesn't make sense to me. Number four, the marital or household qualifications in verse 12. Verse 12 suggests that deacons are to be one woman kind of men and manage their own households well. If women deacons were in view here, it is doubtful Paul would have listed a one woman man qualification. Or he would have said the same for the woman, a one man woman. Now, having said that, since our church believes that these are wives of deacons, what does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? It means that wives are to be qualified in some sense. It, It really does. And so what does it say here? Look with me at verse 11. So first of all, women, the wives of deacons, must be dignified. It's the same word in verse 8 when it says that deacons must be dignified. And it means the same thing. They must be women worthy of respect. Number two, they're not to be malicious gossips. It's similar to the qualification of, 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 uh, of, of, of earlier with the, what he says. They're not to be double-tongued. Again, this is sort of an argument. Why would Paul repeat these if it was the same office? Only women, right? So Um, The wives of deacons are not to be malicious gossips or slanderers because this would destroy the church and cause division from within. Since deacons are working with people and inevitably, um, you know, know, things are going to be heard by the wives, not intentionally for the most part, but you're going to know, right? Wives are not to spread bad news behind people's back out of a bad heart. That's gossip. Number three, wives are to be temperate. Wives and deacons must be temperate. Now, interestingly, this is the same qualification of a pastor. It means that they are to be sober-minded. She is not chasing every fad or living on emotional highs and lows. She is steady and even. Now, that one, that, that qualification is going to require wisdom. It's going to require people to know you. Because 
typically in general, not in my household, but typically in most households, the women are more emotional than men. That's typically how it is. But it says here that the wives of deacons are to be temperate. And number four, sort of a catch-all, they're to be faithful in all things. Deacons, the, uh, um, the wives of deacons must be faithful in all areas of life, personal, home, church, work, and community. Now, having said all that, look what Paul says now in verse 13. Here's the good part. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Pastors are encouraged. They're given motivation in their work. You know what Paul says about them? Look, at, look, at me at ver, uh, look with me at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Is a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine or noble work he desires to do. That's what we're given, elders, pastors. It's a fine work. It's a noble work. Deacons are also given a reward or a motivation. And we just read it here in verse 13. Now, there are two elements here that I want to tease out. First, deacons who have served well obtain a high standing. What is this talking about? It's the fact, it refers to the fact that in the eyes of the congregation, a well-serving deacon will receive appropriate honor, respect, and influence in the body of Christ to serve God's people. A well-serving deacon is going to have that respect and honor in the body to serve the body even more. They will, they will receive, that's what it means by a high standing. So there's a horizontal reward, and then there's a vertical reward. Second, deacons who have served well obtain a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This means, and, and I love what one pastor said, that the deacon's personal faith in Christ as they serve as deacons, their personal faith in Christ is enlarged, deepened, strengthened, and emboldened. Deacons, mark that down, brothers, or I'll send it to you later. And, and, and look at those and meditate on those words. And I want you to do that here because I want to just stop. And I want everyone else to just shut me out, think about lunch, think about something else right now. I want to talk to you deacons. Brothers, listen to me. Thank you. Thank you, each of you, wherever you are. I'm trying to find you in the sea. Thank you so much. Thank you for serving as deacons. Your work, you know what your work is like? My, my daughter, our daughter's um, preparing for a play here in a, in a few weeks. Deacons are like the light crew. They're like the prop crew in the back. The pastors are like the actors on stage. Right? Your work is often, often not seen. You're not given thanks. I mean, pastors, we get thanks occasionally, you know, for our work because we're more public in nature in what we do. But it's not the case for you. You serve in the background, but you serve in amazing ways. Amazing and so often, 99% of the time, thankless ways. And you do that at great cost to you, yourself and your family and your livelihood. And you could frankly be doing many, many other things to make your life more easy and comfortable. And I know that's a temptation. 
Because frankly, it's a temptation for me too to serve at great cost to others. But I want to say thank you, brothers. Thank you for serving Christ's church well. You know what? Let's, let's actually give our deacons a hand. Let's clap for our deacons. Brothers, be encouraged. Take verse 13 to heart. Friends, when we think about the church and something I've been wrestling with here lately in my life, I've been wondering, does God love me? Does God love you? If you're honest, you sometimes wonder. And that's what we all do. We all are human. We all go through those times in our lives where we wonder and we ask those deep questions. Does God really love me? Does God love his church? Does he love his church? It's not a trick question. (laughs) You're staring at me like I'm asking a trick question. It's not. Yes, he does. But we have a hard time believing that sometimes. I have a hard time believing that sometimes. But you know what? This passage is proof that he loves us. He loves us. He loves Grace Community Bible Church because he is lovingly provided. That's what someone who loves someone does. If you love someone, you provide for them. You care for them. You meet their needs. And that's what God has done for us. He's provided lovingly pastors and deacons to lead his church. The gospel The gospel-shaped church is a church that is led by these two offices that God, through Christ's death and resurrection, has provided for us. These men, men of character. At the end of the day, both pastors and deacons, they lead by shepherding, they lead by serving the flock. By us, All of us. But in reality, you notice the reality, friends? The reality is that there is truly one person leading Grace Community Bible Church. There is one shepherd and servant of this church, and his name is Jesus. He is the one we follow. He is the perfect leader. He is the one that faithfully and truly meets all of these qualifications. He, in fact, gave his life, his literal life for his church. I love you all, but I don't think I'm going to give my life for you. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Maybe my family, maybe I could get there. I'm just being honest. Maybe I could get there. 
I will extend great pains for you, but shedding my blood for you, that, that, that would be a hard thing. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And so I know that all the pastors and elders of this church, because I know their hearts and you know our hearts too, you know that we would be the first to tell you that though we meet these qualifications to some extent, we are still growing And so many times we feel so far short. And so we are in need of God's grace as the rest of us. We really are. And so that's why I take so much comfort and we do have one leader. And his name is Jesus. So brothers and sisters, as is the case when you're in a church, it happens You can tend to put your hope in the pastors and the deacons. Please, please do not do this. We are men of clay. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. And to the extent that the pastors and deacons of this church model and follow Jesus, to that extent, you please follow us. And when you follow us to the extent that we follow Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen to Grace Community Bible Church? Grace Community Bible Church is going to blow up in goodness, in grace, in love. We are just going to be a church on fire because we are following the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and that you have given to us leaders in your church. Oh God, I'm not going to sit here and spill my heart right now because you know where it's at. You know me. And Lord, you have chosen in your grace men of clay, feeble men, to be your under-shepherds and your servants in your church. We thank you for what you have given us. We thank you for what the gospel has provided in Jesus to the church. And Lord, I pray that come what may, I pray, Father, that you would continue to make Grace Community Bible Church to have men that fit these qualifications. Obviously, though not perfectly, though striving with all our might to be more like Jesus. Oh, God, would you provide for Grace Community Bible Church in this way. And Lord, I pray boldly that if there's one of us, elders or deacons, that do not meet these qualifications, and we somehow have sneaked in, I pray that you would remove us very, very quickly so that your church would continue on. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.